0: The same journeys of growth that I've I've seen women, especially like black and brown women, have just like kind of like paved the way. Go on them as well. If your wife is, you know, reading Brene Brown or something like that, then read Brene Brown.
1: We got to address the suburban women problem because it's real.
2: Welcome to the Suburban Women Problem, a podcast from Red, Wine and Blue. Hi, everyone. Thanks for
3: joining us. I'm Jasmine Clark. I'm Amanda Weinstein. I'm Rachel Vinman, And you're listening to The Suburban Women Problem. So we talk a lot about moms on this podcast. All three of us are moms, and a lot of our listeners are moms. Although, of course, plenty of suburban women also do not have kids. Everyone is welcome here. And even on the other side, we talk a lot about Moms for Liberty, but not many people are talking about dads. So this week, I talked to Fred Joseph about his book, Patriarchy Blues, and we had a really great conversation about sons and fathers. And before that, we'll be joined by Darren Louston, a dad in Pennsylvania who's been speaking at school board meetings and standing up against book bans. But before we get to all that, how are y'all and how was your 4th of July?
4: Well, Very beachy. It was very nice. We usually stay and do a lot of 4th of July, Ohio things, which is super fun,
3: but it was nice to get a little break
4: away. So that was a lot of fun.
3: Yeah. I went to the beach as well. I just, I, it was, all, it was a very short trip, but, uh, it was impromptu. Uh, I needed to get some writing done. And so I decided to do a little writing retreat and I had a choice between mountains or beach, but since it's summer, I chose beach. <gasps>
4: we should do a writing retreat, but it did let me get away from like all of the news, which was nice. <laughs> nice. So I feel like you all should tell me what's going on right now.
5: <laughs> I just, um, I had a really fun 4th of July at home by myself with the dogs, but now my family's back. So we're all together again and that's good. But I, I will say like everyone kept warning me about fireworks and how it was in Florida, where we live now. And it was legitimately like, I can see why a lot of people who have experienced combat are triggered by um, fireworks. I've never heard fireworks like this
3: ever in my life. I would say in my neighborhood, we've done fireworks uh, before and, you know, we have a like neighborhood fireworks show, like, you know, at the park or whatever, which is where I think fireworks should be Right. I don't really know if I feel comfortable with like random people, even children, like setting off industrial fireworks. It was so loud. It was scary. My neighbor set their front yard on fire. Like it was just a lot.
5: Speaking of fireworks, if I can pivot at this moment to the Supreme Court, they were kind of all over the place in their fireworks um, in this year. It is really hard. I know we we often talk about like celebrating the wins. It is really hard to celebrate wins. And I do feel like there were some when it's coupled with such Sucker punches.
4: It's like a terrible fireworks display where some of the rulings you're like, ooh, ah, and some you're like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> like yeah. Uh, they ruled against gerrymandered maps and you're like, oh, yay, clap for those fireworks. And, but then they overturned affirmative action. and You're like, oh, you know, interesting that they don't seem to mind legacy admits to Harvard or other universities.
3: When I think about the Supreme Court, I think I, I agree with you, Amanda. I felt like they kind of led up with some you know, okay or not so bad uh decisions and then they waited and saved the worst for last. But some of their decisions honestly felt contradictory. So you've got like a apparently affirmative action is discriminatory, but like the whole thing about you can't be forced to do certain art or something like that, then that's not discriminatory as long as like if I'm a small business owner and I don't want to make a cake for a gay person I don't have to do that because that's against and I was just like none of it made sense it was not cohesive no, I
5: agree. it was
3: all over the place I mean, and that's that's why I think they've lost so much credibility, don't you guys? Because they,
2: mm-hmm.
5: I mean, like none of us are constitutional scholars. We're not constitutional attorneys and most people in the country are not. So we're the same as the majority of Americans. And so it becomes really difficult, but you have, I feel like, a lot more talking about the Supreme Court and their decisions. For instance, like the case that you just mentioned about the... It was the web designer uh, and it turns out no one ever asked her to design a website. So then you're like, why is this a thing? And then some people say it's not honest. Some people say, actually, you can do this. We can
4: can just make up something like let's bring it to Supreme Court that unicorns should not be allowed to poop on your neighbor's yard. And let's have the Supreme Court rule on that, whether unicorns should poop on neighbor's yards or not. It's ridiculous.
5: The end result is you have these people who are kind of debating and it's like very nebulous, like, you know, sort of very academic space mm-hmm. that most of us don't live in. It's really easy to be like, oh, it's just totally rigged. It doesn't matter. And and then it's really kind of defeating feeling. And And then I think people then will maybe just tune it
3: out because I don't know. I mean, because you can't sort it out and you can't get to the bottom of it. And it doesn't help that along with all the stuff that was happening then, we've also heard all these reports about these Supreme Court justices riding on people's yachts and, Mm -hmm. you know, like. That's exactly what I mean. Yeah. All of that together really takes away the confidence in the court that we actually truly have checks and balances in our country. And I think fear is often a, a motivator or demotivator. And I think what you end up having are people who are downright afraid that even if I do take this to court, like this will still end badly for me.
4: But I think we had this view of the Supreme Court that it was somehow better or above the other branches. It's somehow the judicial branch, right? We held them to a higher standard than the other branches of government. And I think if anything that we've learned based on the news and rulings and everything going on, that they have the same corruption going on in the Supreme Court that we see going on with politicians.
3: Mm -hmm. But they have lifetime appointments.
4: I know. So it makes it even worse. So the part where we thought that they were supposed to be above the other branches, they're not above the other branches. In fact, they're just as open to corruption as the other branches, but makes it even worse because of those lifetime appointments. But then also they're just as open to making decisions for corporations, just like we see politicians do. We see them, you know, rule against buying student loan forgiveness. Where's the ruling against the PPP loan forgiveness for businesses, right? They're very similar but we see the rulings totally favor corporations the way that we see politicians do when they're bought by corporations, which we know one Supreme, Supreme Court justice, at least, is bought by someone who's quite wealthy.
5: It's not only one. But yeah. I also I want to bring it down to like a very fundamental level. What this means is on Election Day, when it's maybe cold, maybe it's hot, depends on where you live. Maybe you have to wait in line for two hours. This is. Is part of people's calculation. It's it just seeps into their psyche, and maybe they don't feel like standing in line for so long on election day. Maybe it's far away. I mean, all the things. And when the, these this news comes out and this narrative, uh, it doesn't really matter. And frankly, I understand if people think that. I don't believe it's true, but I can. It's not that I don't believe it's true. I just think I, there's still tremendous power in everyone's vote. And I do think that voting really matters and we have the chance to change it. But the reality is we have to change it. The way it is right now is not great and we need to bring it back. But we still have that power. That's what I'm trying to say. We we still can. But it's hard because people feel really defeated in so many areas
3: of their lives. But can I counter that? By also saying that we got here because of election. A hundred percent. No, I totally agree with you. Because there were some people who said, I absolutely cannot stand Trump. I don't like what he stands for. I don't like how he acts. But if Trump is elected, he could get Supreme Court picks. And so I'm not voting for Trump. I'm voting for Supreme Court picks. And unfortunately, that actually came to fruition. You followed through on that one. It's really crazy how much it came through. Mm -hmm. Like, it's scary how much that uh, revelation or that, you know, like, you know, hope came to fruition for people, but sometimes we have to get people to understand that sometimes the, the vote is bigger than just the person that you're voting for. It's you're voting for the decisions that they get to make that you don't get to vote for.
4: But it also means like we have to do more to secure our democracy. Yeah. And that includes like getting involved. Like we've seen red wine and blue do with collecting signatures in Ohio for reproductive freedom, putting on the ballot. And they submitted over 700,000 signatures when we only needed 400,000. That was amazing. And the size of that crowd totally matters. And those numbers are accurate. So uh, that was very impressive. And I do want to give a shout out to my friend, Paige, who red, Wine and blue helped train to get signatures. And she got more signatures than anybody else. Um, She did amazing, amazing stuff. So good job Paige and everyone who
3: did work on that. I'm so excited about that. I, you know, I think I'm excited about that. Not just because y'all almost doubled the number of signatures that you needed. Mm -hmm. I'm excited because that is a testament to, there are people out there that really feel passionately about this and they are doing, and they're willing to do what is necessary. Mm -hmm. Like, do you know how difficult it is to, 700,000 people to do anything like that's a lot. It's a lot of work.
4: Every event I went to every concert, they were there. They did not miss an event in the state.
5: I would like to point out that the Uline family who does not live in Ohio has spent a lot of money trying to get this not to pass. They're also trying. They're the ones responsible for the election in August when everyone needs to vote. No in August and yes, in November. And we're going to talk about that a lot. Yeah. Well, speaking
3: of millionaires and billionaires backing, you know, astroturf movements, we have been hearing a lot of news about Moms for Liberty. Uh, None of it good. They have full-blown embraced extremism, their little convention thing that they had or whatever, a little summit. So many references to Extremists and dictators, and how we should give them a chance and just hear them out. And I'm like, "Why is this your platform? And why? Why is this the history you want to teach? Yeah
4: <laughs> that's what happens when you don't know history. This is where it leads us, which is where they want it to lead us. And I still don't understand why Moms for Liberty gets so much attention. No, I do understand. No, I want to back that up. I do understand. It's super fun to call women extremists and to be like, see, told you all along. Women are just crazy when these are not the women who are in the mainstream. These are not most moms. Most moms are not extremists by who, their own admission, Yes, who are connected with like the proud boys and Hitler. Most moms don't teach their kids to admire Hitler. Right. right? These are not most moms, but somehow this is what they focus on and we were talking in our chat uh jasmine you brought up like the media like we focus on such crazy stuff whether it's extremism while we ignore everybody else or whether we talk constantly about what biden's wearing versus like hey our economy's actually doing really well compared to other advanced economies and everyone's like oh yeah but but biden didn't wear socks cut my pearls
3: (laughs) just weird like socks oh my god biden like was laying on the beach with uh, the shirt on is he supposed to wear a suit and then like oh oh, my gosh guess what guys when biden is not on the microphone he uses swear words y'all don't want to know what i say (laughs) it's important for us to to not give so much focus and attention on the extremism and to talk to regular everyday people, which is why I love our podcast and why I love Red, Wine, and Blue. And so with that, I would like to introduce Darren, who's a dad in Pennsylvania, who's been speaking out against book bans and against extremists on his local school board. So Darren, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello. Hello.
4: Darren, are you feeling very outnumbered right now?
3: (laughs) I can
1: handle it.
4: (laughs) I thought you might be able to.
3: (laughs) So we are all moms here, and we talk a lot about moms standing up for their kids' right to learn. But you've also been fighting these same battles as a dad. So could you tell us more about what first
1: inspired you to start getting involved? Uh, It actually seems somewhat quaint now looking back at it, but uh, I started getting involved back in 2021. And it was just right after, obviously, the presidential election and um, the little thing that happened at the Capitol on January 6th. There was some local news about our school board vice president at the time being at the January 6th uh, rally. So that became kind of a big story because this school board member already had a reputation for saying a lot of provocative things on social media one of the things she was famous for for saying on Twitter was that there was no such thing as uh, systematic racism or systematic homophobia. Uh, she had ret- retweeted some um, tweets about uh, the kids who were protesting gun violence and, uh, you know, calling them Marxist truants, just this really hyperbolic, crazy language. And that obviously raised my eyebrow a little bit. <laughs> And I decided oh, I'm going to go to a school board meeting just out of morbid curiosity. So I showed up one day to a school board meeting, and I was stunned by how many people were there. I just, just so happened to show up on the same night that this conservative Facebook group called Penbridge for Educational Liberty decided to all show up to this school board meeting. It was, it was like the local Moms for Liberty, basically. And their public comments were just like, to me, they just sounded insane um they were talking about like radical gender theory and critical race theory and that teachers are indoctrinating our kids and i was just like are are we talking about the same school district here because it's like it was like they were thinking they were living in this dystopian fantasy or something and I, i learned later that some of those people coming up giving comments were actually the ones who are running for school board and i was like Ah, crap! Yeah. <laughs> and my 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 daughter was just about to enter first grade, so just this is like her first walk into the public school district, and I'm like, these these are not serious people. First of all, these are people who are trying to make a name for themselves and convert in some weird conservative circle and do some kind of showmanship. And these people do not belong on a school board. So that's when I first started getting involved, reaching out to like local Democrats and saying. You know, how can I, how can I help?
4: (laughs) I mean, but it sounds like there's a lot of people in Bucks County who do feel like this and do want these policies. It sounds like you had a lot of people showing up. And I know that it can be hard to like speak out because you already know there's people in your community who are ready to push back against you, but you've been outspoken anyway. So what's been the response to the community when you started pushing back?
1: It hasn't been easy. (laughs) Um, Because a lot of what I pushed back against was the book banning aspect of it, because you have to focus on something. Right. Um, And I focused on the book banning aspect because that's what really offended me the most. They went up there and they were saying that there's a porn problem in the library and that there's this smut and this. They weren't saying these books were age inappropriate. They were calling them pornography. Yeah,
4: so interesting. Same thing in our school district.
1: And they w- and they wouldn't tell us which books they're talking about, which was the crazy part. Because I think if they would have told us which books they're talking about, people would be like, Whoa, "Hold on a second, Beloved by Toni Morrison is not pornography." Sold by Patricia McCormick is not pornography. Looking for Alaska by John Green is not pornography. Like these are the books that they got removed from the library. So anyway, you know, I, I pushed back a lot on that, and actually am bringing them to court on that issue.
4: Ooh, nice. Because they,
1: yeah, they had, we had this whole open records dispute with them because they won't, actually won't tell us the books that they removed which is insane.
4: Wow. Yeah.
1: So I have this whole open records case with them. And, you know, of course I've got a lot of pushback from people online. These, you know, people who think they're tough with a fake screen name, calling me a groomer and a, you know, a predator. And yeah, but I think most people are reasonable. And at this point, it's like, I'm so pissed off at this point. Like, I don't care.
5: I love it, Darren. You found your people with us. Like you, you fit in, you know, One of the things I have to say, I was, I think there are probably people who agree the same way with you and what you're doing in your area, but I was really struck when I visited Bucks County, I heard something that, it still sticks with me today, and that was, this was in like September, October, I was so sad to hear people say that maybe they put out signs for school board and their neighbors, their friends said, oh, well, you know, we really think it'd be best if we just didn't know when put out signs. What if we all just pretended basically, okay, they didn't say this, but what they're essentially saying is let's pretend like this doesn't exist, but they don't want the signs because they don't want the divisiveness. They just want to bury their heads in the sand about what's happening. So have you kind of encountered that? And what do you say when your friends are like, maybe we shouldn't. And let's just all have chili cook-offs.
1: Well, I can empathize because I was that guy mm. two years ago. I
3: think a lot of people are until they're not. <laughs> <Right. laughs> and then you're really not.
1: <laughs> exactly. And then it's like a balloon pops and like, you can't even hold you back, you're, yourself back anymore. You know what I mean? Because, you know, once you're in, you're in. Um, and once you start speaking out, you know, you're, you're in it for the long haul. Um But, you know, when you have somebody when when they want to bring 1776 curriculum into your school and fire your curriculum supervisors and have some guy from Hillsdale College run your school district like that's a little too far.
4: Are there other dads that are, you know, with you talking about this stuff that are as involved as you? And I will just say as a wife, I find this up there with like, hey, you did the dishes. You went to the school board. Like, yes, I'm into this. <laughs> so are there other dads who are also into this and kind of seeing that this is something they need to get involved with? Or how do we get other dads involved?
1: It's funny because I, I see myself as pretty involved, but I'm not even like in the top you know, 10 dads.
4: I love it.
5: I
1: mean, there's dads who like live, sleep, breathe, dream about this stuff, which is great. I know with red wine and blue, a lot of your focus is kind of the like the networking of people and meeting people and engaging with people and making it fun, um, which I think is I think that applies to moms and dads. You know, maybe it's a different network, maybe it's you know maybe there's some overlap, but you know just talking to people and and if you see like getting past your your feelings of being you know your social anxieties, I guess you could say. So if you see somebody in, in public that, you know, make sure you like make an effort to go out and talk to them and, and invite them out. And I think organically, it just kind of grows from there.
4: Let's go have a beer and a board meeting.
1: <laughs> yeah, beer, beer is a great tool. You know what I mean? Like,
4: I get it. That's what we do. Beer with is a
1: great, <laughs> beer is a great, we got so many microbreweries around around. Yes. It's a great tool that invites invite somebody out for a few beers, talk about what's going on. And make it fun. I mean, it, it it can be it can be a lot of fun to get involved in this type of stuff, even though yeah. it's terrible. What's going on? Um, the strategy, you know, the the messaging. All these things are 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 things that you know your guy friends could definitely could definitely whip them up. And find finding what people like to do is is another thing. Like, not everybody is going to be a door knocker. You know, not everybody's going to go out and knock doors. I mean, that's what we need a lot of. But some people are going to be good at writing letters to the editor. Some people are good at like being the party master and getting everybody together and having social events and you know I have like a band book club and some people love going to to the band book club meetings and talking about that. so I, I, I don't know I, I think it's just kind of keeping not not being too narrowly focused on there's one solution there's one one way to get people together.
3: I love that. Well, Darren, thank you so much for joining us. I think this is a very important conversation and I'm glad you're a part of it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, thanks for being on this suburban woman problem.
1: Thank you so much. It's been an honor. It's nice nice to meet all of you.
3: I
4: thought that was so great that uh, everything Darren was saying about, you know, making friends and finding a way to connect with people and talk about what's important for our kids. And I think it's really important, too, because I know research and data shows that men are actually struggling to find friends right now. Um, I think we all are, but men especially are. And this is a great way for men to find friends and to do something for their community and to get involved. Um, and I think we we also need men's voices here to stand up against book banners,
3: yeah. I think a lot of times, like when these subjects come up, i I do know there's a fear amongst the men, not all, but there's a fear amongst some men that they don't want to say the wrong thing or that they're going to be admonished for, you know, butting into the wrong conversations, but they're parents. If you're a parent, honestly, you probably have more of a right to be in the conversation than some of the people who are in a conversation that they aren't parents of students in these school districts. They don't even live in the school district, yet they're over here making policies for your school district. Mm -hmm. So in that case, yes, you very much should be in the conversation. We need everybody's voice voice in this because these people are not relenting. The funny thing, the thing I find funny is that extremists have no problem getting on social media and just being absolutely horrible. They don't seem to have imposter syndrome, Mm -hmm. different standards. But I have people who will like be on my pages watching the discourse and they will privately message me and just be like, you know, I just want to say that I agree with you and I think you're doing the right thing. I just don't want to comment because I don't want to like deal with that. And so I, I get it. I, I think a lot of times the people who are on your side are also the people who are less likely to get on social media mm-hmm. and just be a complete yes. butthole to everybody. Mm-hmm. And so it's it sometimes can feel like you're alone um, in that way because the mo- the loudest people are usually the wrongest people in some of these instances. <laughs>
5: good for you for having uh, supporters and friends who are normal, but <laughs> we do need to be loud sometimes. I mean, that, yes. that is, and um, I mean, speaking up doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be loud, but speaking up and speaking out in a reasonable way is it's important. It is really important. I mean, I feel like it, to say it's important, is just kind of an understatement, but um what's what's happening in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, it really scares me because it's it's a place where to get the wins the first time, ok, to get more wins the second time is going to show a blueprint and a for how to go forward in a lot of other places.
3: yeah. i um that's exactly how this works. I know for a fact that no one even knew when a school board meeting was in my community (laughs) um, until like the pandemic. And then everyone became an expert on the school board in like a week. (laughs) And earlier we were talking about how like the stuff of the Supreme Court, how it's really easy to feel disheartened. And I am going to speak for myself, but I'm pretty sure I'm not alone I have definitely had days where I'm like, what is even happening? And how are we even going to fix this? And I have been discouraged a lot in the last few weeks. Like I just like some days I feel like I just keep getting hit. And every time I try to stand back up, I'm getting hit before I even stand back up again. And so, you know, but I'm going to keep standing up. Like I've made the conscious decision that no matter how many times I get hit with this or that one thing I'm not going to do is stay down. And so I think we just need a lot more people to decide that no matter what's going on, even when it's painful and it doesn't feel like it's uh, very hopeful that you got to just keep standing back up.
4: Also hashtag mom life. <laughs> I know. I mean, I, not to, not
5: to bring this to, I don't know, a sad or dark place, but When my mom was diagnosed with glioblastoma, uh, which is brain cancer, she was given 14 to 16 months to live. And it's pretty much the same for everyone. She actually lived 15 months. So right, right. Bullseye. But she didn't just give up. I mean, she did the treatment. It wasn't really that invasive when she was tired. I mean, she knew she was going to die and very soon, but she still got up every day and she still gave her life meaning during that time. And that is something that really motivates me. So even in the dark days, even when things may, and I know they might not go the way I want them to, but you're going to hear my voice. I'm going to make a difference. I am going to say my piece and my part, even if it doesn't change the outcome the way I wanted to, it still makes a difference. And I hope the outcome is that, you know, our democracy survives and that we, and I think that is the likely outcome, but only if we keep working every single day and in every instance it might not end the way we want but cumulatively we make a difference by continuing to speak up and not staying down
3: right so uh i think now it's a great time to take a quick break and when we come back we'll have my interview with fred joseph
2: Do you wanna stand up against book bans like this week's Troublemaker Darren? Do you wanna find effective ways to counter right-wing extremists at your school board meetings? Then we invite you to join us on Thursday, July 13th for a Troublemaker training that's all about book bans. You'll learn how to join together with your friends and neighbors and the best tactics to make your voices heard. You can learn more and register at redwine.blue or by clicking the link in the show notes.
3: Our guest today is an activist and the New York Times bestselling author of The Black Friend, Better Than We Found It, and Patriarchy Blues. Frederick Joseph, thank you so much for joining me on The Suburban Women Problem.
0: It's it's absolutely my honor to be here.
3: I love it. So... Interestingly, Rachel actually got an opportunity to interview your wife, Portia, earlier this year about the book you two wrote together, Better Than We Found It. But we wanted to get you back on the pod to talk about patriarchy blues, because while we talk a lot about women on the show, because of course we are the suburban women problem, it's also really important to talk about men.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I think that the reality of it is is anyone with privileges in our society needs to unpack those privileges to do the work of making our society better right and that's that very much must include men because we do live in a patriarchal society right we live in a heteronormative uh, patriarchal society where Men hold immense power um, and until we have, and even when we have, um, you know, uh, uh, equity uh, and not just even equality, but real equity, um, we have to have these conversations to make men want to do the work and then take actionable um, steps towards change.
3: I love that. I love that. So, Frederica, I have a son and of course, like all moms, I I worry about my kid. I think we all do, but- To be honest, a lot of times when I'm talking to some of my peers, I realize that I have to worry about my black son Mm -hmm. in a very specific and often different way than some of my friends do. I worry about things like, how are people going to perceive him? Like he's a, he's tall, he's about 200 pounds, you know, he's kind of, he's a, he's a big guy. He just got his driver's license a few weeks ago, maybe like three weeks ago. And while I am definitely afraid of you know anything that can happen on the road, one of the questions I have is what happens if he gets pulled over and so I would love if you could speak about how we really can't separate race from gender,
0: yeah, absolutely. So you know it's interesting, um, like your son, I'm a Bigger person, right? I'm about six, two. Uh, I'll add the half. I'm a six two and a half. <laughs> you, can <have laughs> and, you can have it. You <laughs> can <laughs> And and I'm about two hundred and thirty pounds, right? So, you know, as a bigger black man in society, um, there are many stereotypes, tropes, so on and so forth that are assigned to me. And, you know, there's one specific instance, um, just to kind of like give an example of, you know, how the intersections and nuance of gender and race must constantly be in conversation with each other, um, my, my, my wife and I um, had went to an event, and, and I had dropped her off home and went to go park the car, and it was still daylight out, but it was early evening, like it was kind of dusk, and I was walking home to my apartment. And there was a a white woman walking a few feet in front of me, and I was reaching in my pocket to pull my keys out to walk up to the townhouse that we live in. And as soon as I reached in my pocket, she started screaming. Oh, no. Right? Um, She just started yelling for dear life as if, I I don't know what necessarily she assumed. I'm sure a a myriad of things she might have assumed. But in that moment, you now have the juxtaposition of, let's say, whatever her trauma responses and being a woman, right? Like maybe, you know, God forbid, maybe something happened or maybe she was assaulted, who knows, right? But then you also now have, as a Black man who is having a white woman scream, we do know from history, um, you know, the likes of people such as Emmett Till, that these situations, you know, can turn into bodily harm for me as well, right? Um, Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly. Um, These, this could, you know, be a a life-altering, deadly um, moment for me, right? So you have to have a conversation there about the two things existing in relation to each other because there's growth now that she needs to do but there's also potentially a level of understanding that I need to like have that like two things inform this moment, not just potentially racism, but also potentially trauma within patriarchy, mm-hmm. right? So I I just don't feel as though we do that enough, right? Like the key to growing as a society is being intersectional. I don't think without an intersectional lens that we can do any of the work, right? Um, And, and I think also in part, that's why this book quite frankly, is a difficult read for some, right? Because I, I think a lot of people purchase Patriarchy Blues expecting me to just like, men are bad, men are bad, men are bad. And the reality of it is there's a lot of nuance. Right. I right? was going
3: to say nuance. Yes, yes, yes.
0: There's a lot of nuance and we are all to be held, not just accountable, um, but held to a standard of evolution, Right, um, in real time, and that doesn't just include one group, right? Like so yeah, I, I the conversations have to be intersectional.
3: absolutely. I was just going to say, I think that a lot of times when I'm having conversations with people, they want everything to be so black and white. yeah, and um one of the examples I give is I teach and I teach anatomy and physiology. and mm-hmm. the way we teach it is we divide the organ systems up into a chapter. So you learn about the heart, then you learn about the lungs and then you learn about the kidneys. Well, the problem is then students think of these things as if they don't all work together. Mm -hmm. Your heart and your kidneys and your lungs are very intimately associated with each other. And honestly, one doesn't work without the other, but you have to acknowledge that this is a system and it's not individual black and white. There's no, you know, no overlap. And so intersectionality is important. And I, uh, oftentimes when people don't understand what I mean by that, that's the example that I give is that, you know, it's easy to talk about them in in individual ways because they each are very complex all by themselves. But you also have to acknowledge that one doesn't work without
0: the other. Right. I mean, the reality of it is, is that thinking in a binary way robs us of the reality of the human condition, right? Absolutely. You know, on any given day, um, I exist in various capacities. I am a black man. I am cisgender. I am heterosexual. I'm also disabled, right? I'm also someone who now um, has a certain level of financial privilege, but I grew up in poverty, right? I'm someone who uh, is the first to go to college in my family, but I'm also highly educated and have many degrees, right? So there's all these things that like rival each other, but they're also intertwined with each other and they also mirror each other and they also exist opposite to each other, right? They clang and bang and they, and they seem contradictory. And I think that that's the issue for some people that some things seem contradictory, but they're not. They're just a part of being human, right? right. And so I ask people constantly, you know, to take stock of your privilege, take stock of your identities and to, and to then try to do the work right? Don't step into anti-patriarchal rhetoric unless you understand where you exist in a patriarchal sense. Don't step into anti-racism unless you understand the privileges within, you know, constructs of racism, as an example.
3: Absolutely. So, Frederick, there's still a lot of progress that needs to be made, but we can't overlook the fact that we really have come a long way on gender equality. Again, still a long way to go, but we have, we're we getting there. Um, but that has made some men, especially white men, actually feel like they're being left behind. Um, and so when you're accustomed to privilege, you, you just talked about this, when you're accustomed to privilege. Sometimes equality can feel a like lot oppression. like oppression. <laughs> yep. And so how can we counter that? Like, because the far right, is definitely capitalizing on the, that those feelings right mm-hmm. now. Um, and we we need to have a good counter to that. So what do you say?
0: I, I think that we are all lessened by being in silos, right? We are all lessened by not having each other to push us to be our best. Because the reality of it is, and this is, I say this to white man all the time. I said, I, I went to a class of, about a year ago and I said, do you all feel like you're really good at something? And and all these white guys said, "Yes." And and I, and I these young white men said, "Yes." And I said, "Okay. How do you know you're good?" They're like, "Oh, because I'm better than the people around me." I'm like, "Is it important to be good?" And they said, "It is important to me to be good." I'm like, "So then wouldn't you want the most competition possible right. so you know that you're really good?" Right? Because the the reality is the realities of what has happened uh, for 400 years in this nation and just globally um in various constructs of patriarchy is that only certain people were invited to the table to even be able to test whether they could be good or not, right? And so mediocrity in certain ways became the standard, right? So now what happens when you have women such as yourself or, or women, uh, you know, such as the people at Red, Wine, and Blue, so on and so forth, right? Saying like, okay, great. So now I'm entering the room. I'm not entering the room to inherently take your place. I'm entering the room so that we can decide who's better, right? So if I, so if I still, if you're still better, great. Now you are actually great. Now you have proved that you're great. Are you afraid of proving your greatness because you kind of know inherently that you've only gotten by on mediocrity? And the funny thing is that message resonated so much with these young white men. And I don't know if it's narcissism, if it's ego, what it might be, (laughs) but everyone's like, good point. Yeah. We need to invite everybody in because I want to show how good I, you know, like people want to show what they've got. Yeah. Right. Like, and I, and I say that to right wingers all the time. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of showing what you've got because you don't really have anything?
3: But then to go a little bit further, mm-hmm. when let's say a person like me, a person who they have been told that they should be better than me. And then I walk into the room and I am better Then mm-hmm. what then like, cause that's when they start to feel the oppression. That's when they start to say, well, she's only here because of this, or she's only here because of that. And I'm like, but I just showed that I have the ability
0: to do something as well as you or even better than you. You know, it's interesting. I'm going to say something that's going to be very unpopular. I, I, I think especially in 2023, I'm more interested in building coalition with people who want to move the needle, like right? That. Because like yeah. we all, yeah, we we all fall on a spectrum of needing to grow. And then there are those of us who have no interest in growing. So a lot of my work is not geared towards necessarily, um, you know, the the Ron DeSantis uh, uh, of the world, right? They're, it's not geared necessarily towards the Donald Trumps of the world. I, I, I think I'm more so I I do the work that's geared towards, you know, the the the, the who Bill Clinton used to be. Right, um, because the, the reality of it is, is that at one point, and Bill Clinton has said this himself, he's like, "Hey, I didn't view race in this way, and I am different in 2016 and 2020 and in 2023 than I was in 1996." I mean, Joe Biden's another grand example of this, right? Like, Joe Biden um, is not the person that he was pre-Obama. He's not the person that he, he you know, is post-Obama and won't be the person that he will be probably in the next uh, uh, primary, right? Uh, and those are the people I'm interested in working with, right? And, and I don't think that you have to give up on people, but your focus should be on building coalition with, with the people who are interested in any capacity for growth.
3: I love that. All right. So I'm a, like I said, I'm a boy, I'm honestly young man, mom. I mean, he's mm-hmm. like, he's almost 18. Um, and so what advice do you have for listeners who are raising sons like myself mm-hmm. And how can we set them up for success, and also make them compassionate and empathetic human beings in our society?
0: So I, I think it starts very, very early, right? You know, as 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 cliche as it might be, like representation does truly matter, especially for like young, young children, I agree. right? Like my views of women started early in understanding. Like my mother, my mother's the person who taught me how to play basketball. Prime example, right? My mother taught me how to play basketball. My mother also taught me how to like throw my fists up to defend myself, you know, whatever. (laughs) My mother was the person in my life who existed in all these ways that we often assign to men, right? And ironically, it was the men, my uncles in my life, who were much more of the like emotional creatures, right? The people who would like, yeah. So I just got lucky in that way, but it changed the outcome of who I ended up becoming, right? And so if that's the case, we need to actually implement that strategically with young people. I was watching Ted Lasso recently, and I I just absolutely loved that show. And there's like a feminist uh, narrative in the show about these two women who were just really good friends and who were just so deeply supportive of each other and I was watching it with um my little cousin and I said what do you take from this right I'm asking him questions in real time what are you taking from these two women being friends he's like oh they're not much different from me and my boys ask the questions make sure they're taking it all in I love
3: that I love that I think that's a good important point is like it's not like rocket science or no. anything like that it's really just having conversations that for whatever reason we've decided we don't get to have with our sons have it anyway, like just have those conversations.
0: Right. I mean, we, we, as a society silo based on gender, we silo based on sexual orientation. We silo based on all sorts of things that are actually just social constructs, right? There is literally no reason why if you're going to the ballet why are you bringing your daughter and not bringing your son? It it makes no sense, right? If if you're going to, uh, I, my mother brought me when I was a kid. Like she would go get her nails done, and she would go, you know, uh, get her eyebrows done, all sorts of things. I would go. I would go, right? Like my wife would tell you, I'm a huge fashion snob, right? Like a lot of times my wife will actually let me pick her outfits out or go shopping with her because that's what I grew up on. (laughs) It doesn't make me any less of a man. It makes me someone who's interested in women's fashion, right? And And
3: versatile. I mean, honestly, that's probably... Secretly, lots of women would love to have a husband that (laughs) understands, you know, getting your nails done, how painful it is to get your eyebrows done and also fashion. So this that's great. Like, that's it. That's awesome. We need more of you. So Mm -hmm. I also want to ask, do you have any thoughts about how we can talk to the dads in our Mm. lives as well? So whether we're talking about the fathers of our own children or other men that we know um, especially when it comes to like this parents' rights, you know, quote, parents' rights <laughs> stuff. I know it affects them too. So how can we bring the dads into the conversation? Because everything's like moms for this, moms for that, but the dads care too. So h- how do we bring them in?
0: I I think that's such an important point because I, I I do think that with the advent and growth of social media and the beautiful work that a lot of women have done to be in community um, with each other around very positive things. There are times where it's aired on, you know, kind of like the lunch table, like boys sit over there and girls sit over here. And I'm like, well, also the men in your life need some of that work too. Right. And it's not placing onerous on uh, women to do the work. It's, Hey, you as a man are allowed to also do these things. You're allowed the healing journey. You're allowed the self-care journey because that ultimately benefits your child. It ultimately benefits your partner, right? It ultimately benefits everyone in your life. So those are the conversations that I think are necessary uh, for fathers, for husbands, for, for boyfriends, whomever, right? Is like, go on these journeys of growth, Right? the same journeys of growth that I've, I've seen women, especially like black and Brown women have just like, kind of like paved the way, um, you know, in, in recent years of those types of journeys, go on them as well. Right. Like if, if your wife is, you know, um, reading um uh, Brene Brown or something like that, then read Brene Brown, right? Like, if you, yes. you know, if you yeah. see Brene Brown working, then you read Brene Brown as well, right? There's no problem with that, you know? So that's, that's the conversation I think needs to be had is how can you grow and heal as well? Because it doesn't just benefit you. It benefits all of us um, that are in proximity to you.
3: I love that. Oh, I love that so much. All right, Frederick, this has been such a great conversation. Honestly, I could keep going on and on, Um, but we are on a time crunch. So I am going to move on to one of my favorite parts of the show, which is our rapid fire questions. Okay. So are you ready?
0: Let's do it. Let's do it. All right.
3: I'm going to start by asking you the same rapid fire questions that we asked your wife. So I'm I'm curious to see how y'all's answers compare to each other. All right, here we go. What frequently banned book should be at the top of our reading list right now?
0: Uh, Beloved uh, Toni Morrison. Beloved.
3: All right. If you were a superhero, what would your superpower be?
0: Mm, I would freeze time and try to live in the moments that bring joy.
3: What's your favorite place to go on a date?
0: Ooh, um, the movies.
3: And finally, as a bonus question, Who is your favorite pop culture dad?
0: Ooh. um, Uncle Phil from the Fresh Prince who was not, and he was especially a great dad because he wasn't um, a blood dad for everyone who he was a dad to. And you don't have to be a blood dad to be somebody's dad.
3: Yes. Uncle Phil is awesome. I like it. All right. (laughs) So that is the end of our rapid fire questions. So. Frederick, tell everyone where they can go to find out more about you and your work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so everyone can follow me on uh, Instagram. I very rarely use Twitter anymore, thanks to some, uh, you know, person who thinks that he's a god. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
3: Understand. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. But everyone can follow me on Instagram at Fred T. Joseph. I'm also on TikTok at Frederick T. Joseph. Um, and, you know, if you want to read some of my writing, you um, my books are available everywhere. Uh, I also have a Substack, which I use weekly to write essays about all sorts of things happening around us in the world. So
3: I love that. Awesome. All right. Well, this was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Again, I could go on and on, um, but I just want to say thank you so much, Frederick, for joining us on the Suburban Women Problem.
0: Uh, Thank you so much for having me. Everyone have a great day.
4: Welcome back, everyone. Jasmine, I really loved your interview with uh, Fred Joseph, and I really loved the discussion about the intersection with race and gender, and how all of this is really, you know, more complicated. The human condition is complicated. We're not all a bunch of ones and zeros with everything, whether it's gender or race or anything. Like this is a complicated discussion. Um, that's an important one to have, and also the empathy that he has of also thinking about. You know, when someone has a reaction to him, the empathy was huge.
3: Yeah. It's amazing because the story he told about basically, you know, him walking and the white woman, like literally, he, he was just behind, like he was just walking in the same direction, and she got scared and started screaming. And in that moment, he was afraid. He wasn't doing anything wrong, but now he's afraid. But he also, at the same time, empathized with her and like, you know, she's a woman walking along, like, you know, there was just all these things. And I I don't know that I would have been able to be so like empathetic. Yeah. And, but I mean, it's true. Like she might've had a trauma, that made her afraid of being alone and some man being behind her whether maybe him being black had nothing to do with it but at the same time him being a black m- m- black man and a white woman screaming this turns into a dangerous situation for him where people will automatically assume he was doing something to her because that's just the way our society usually views Black men.
4: I think we could all use a little more empathy the way that he showed there. Just what might that other person be thinking? where they, And how can I approach this in a more empathetic
3: way? I think our world would be totally different. Or just acknowledge nuance. Like, I think that's something that a lot of people like are not willing to do is acknowledge nuance. Yeah, exactly. And understand, not everything is so binary. You know, that maybe two things can be true at the same time. All right. So now I think is a great time for us to transition to our toast to joy, and I know we haven't talked in a while, so I'm happy to hear about some things that are going well in y'all's lives. So, Rachel, I'll start with you. What is your toast to joy?
5: Well, my my big toast to joy is that uh, my daughter is back from camp she had a great time, and my husband is back from Ukraine and he's safe, and we are in New York City right now with my brother and his family. Um, we gave them a trip to New York city, uh, for the holidays and they're finally able to take it now. And so it's been a lot of fun. My niece and nephew, the older ones have been in before, but my youngest niece, she's eight and she has never been here. And she is just a true joy. And I just love eight year olds and how they see the world. So that is my toast to
3: joy. They are fun. Like they, I love that. Age of discovery where things mm-hmm. that like I think are just normal, they're like <laughs> so many This them. is
4: amazing. Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. that's cute. Uh, so my toast is actually similar. Uh, I just got back from a little vacation where I got to meet up with a lot of my extended family. We had lots of cousins and aunts and uncles, nieces, nephews, brothers, sisters, grandparents, grandpas, like tons of uh my family were there, and it was a whole lot of fun. And it was fun to get to meet up with them. And it was really fun because I have a cousin who's a little bit older than me because my aunt is a little bit older than my mom. So we're like not, not super similar age wise, but I always thought she was like the coolest cousin ever. <laughs> and it was really cool to see my three kids think that her three kids were like the coolest older cousins ever. Oh, I love it. And it was so like, I feel like you have these thoughts of like, oh, it's more fun when they're similar ages. But I was like, no, no, no. This was more fun.
3: I love hanging out with cousins. I love family reunions. I think I've been voluntold to be on our family reunion committee. Oh, fun next year. So I don't think that's fun.
1: Oh,
3: um, I, <laughs> oh, I go, with Sorry. but I don't want to like organize it. But that's you know, fair. at the that's same time, fair. I look forward to like actually doing the part where we actually get to hang out because that's always fun.
4: It is a lot of fun. All right, Jasmine, what is your toast to joy?
3: All right. So my Toast to Joy is to, I've been doing like a lot of um, different fun things. And so this is kind of a weird Toast to Joy because um, it was actually excruciating. But I decided to run my neighborhood 5K.
4: Oh, no. It's been hot. It's like the hottest week ever. We didn't even talk about was like the
3: hottest week ever. Uh, this route, whoever made this 5K route is insane. And <laughs> no offense if you're listening right now. It was treacherous. The number of hills that we had to climb and not little hills, like long quarter mile long uphill climbs in this 5K was insane. But I finished and I'm really excited that I finished and it was a fun thing to do with my neighbors. So that is my toast to joy to running my first 5K in like, shoot, almost a decade and and finishing it. Bye. So thanks so much to everyone for joining us today. Before we go, I wanted to mention that the podcast app Stitcher is going to be shutting down in August. We've heard from a few listeners who are concerned about where they can listen after that. But don't worry, we're available on a lot of other podcast apps. You can listen to us on Apple, Overcast, Spotify, Google, or you can just visit our website at theswppod.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again next week on another episode of The
2: Suburban Women Problem. The Suburban Women Problem was created by Red, Wine, and Blue. Our producer and editor is Amy Thorstenson, and our project manager is Lindsay Quist. Videos by Abigail Martin and Ashley Hufford. For more information about upcoming events and trainings, or to learn more about Red, Wine, and Blue, follow us on social media or at www.redwine.blue.